All right, here's what I want you to do, kids. Inside, you were given the bulletin and a little bag. In that bag, there's a little name tag. I want you to pull that out. And where it says name, I want you to write your name on it. And then after you finish writing your name on it, there's a little rope around it. I want you to open up your children's bulletin and hang it on the head of the person inside the bulletin. And here's what you need to do there. While we are going, you can color that person and I want you to make it look like you, okay? So you're gonna draw yourself. That little picture of the kid in the bulletin, that's supposed to be you, but you can hang the one sign over it so it should look like this. You have Judah's name right here and it's hanging on the person. So that's what you should be doing right now. We're going to illustrate, though, what we're going to be doing. And so while, while you're doing that, I, I have a question. What is the word that you wrote your name right over? It's the letters D-E-B-T. Kids, what, what does that spell? Debt. How does it spell that? I don't know. Welcome to, the, to English. But it spells debt. Now, you probably don't have that much experience with debt. If, if we had more college students here, if they weren't on Easter break, we could ask them about debt. We have a few here, you can ask them. And if we did ask them, they would tell us that debt is a problem. Debt is something you want to be free from. It means that there is something required of you, that there is a payment that needs to be made before everything is made right. You know what the problem is? It's really hard to get free from debt. You know why? There are lots of promises. There are lots of solutions that are offered that's, that will tell you, this is how you get out of debt. But do you know what? A lot of them actually make you get into more debt. And I want to illustrate that. Jack, can you come up here? Now this is... My son, Jack, and I, uh, I used a different kid for the illustration a few weeks ago, and, and my kids were a little upset that they, I didn't use them, but Jack, unfortunately, there's not a $100 bill this week uh, in this illustration. Um, but Jack loves to run and play and do all of these things, but, but let's imagine that Jack has a debt. Jack, do you think that that's going to make you doing everything you love to do and even the things that you were made to do, is that going to get in the way? You think that running and playing soccer and wrestling, if Emmett were here, if you were wrestling, I mean, maybe you could use this, but that's going to get a little bit in the way, right? Would you like to be free from that? Okay, I, I have an idea. I, I've, I know lots of people that use this. There is a solution to help you get free of your debt. Do you know what it's called? And I'm telling you, lots of people use it. Do you want, it, do you want the solution to be free of it? Okay, here's the solution. It's called denial. Denial, you just pretend. Here, close your eyes. Pretend. Okay, right? Can you see it anymore? Can you see your debt? You're free, right? Are you free of your debt? Nope, you can still feel it. Wait, so, so did this help you? Did what I do help you? No? Okay, wait, wait. I've got a better thing. Okay. You can still see it, but maybe, maybe we should do a different one. How about distraction? Distraction will help. Jack, look over there. Look over there. Look at that. Isn't that so much? Do you feel the debt still? Right? It's gone. No, no, no. Look, look over there. Look over there. It's gone. Is it gone? Did I help you? Okay. All right, I have, I have another solution for you. This one, this one I'm, I've heard, when, when there, there used to be a thing called bookstores that you haven't really seen before. Now there's things like YouTube, but there's this whole section to help you, and it's DIY. You know what, Jack? Do it yourself. Get rid of the debt by your own. See if you can get yourself free. Is that going to help you? Okay. 
There's one last one, and this one is really popular in churches. Lots of churches are saying, this is what's going to get you out of debt. Okay, you know what it is? It's deeds. Do good deeds. If, if, if you just do good things, that'll help you, right? It didn't help? Well, but, but you look better now because we can see the good deeds that you're, you've done. Jack, are you, are you free from your debt, the first debt that you came up here with? Did, did I help? Did, did, did it actually get worse? Jack, there's, there's a lot of solutions that people are going to promise will give you freedom, but just make it worse. Jack, you can go back and sit down, but later I'm going to have you come up. I have one more solution I think might work to help you, okay? So go down with your debt. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Colossians 2, 8 through 15. Colossians 2, 8 through 15, it's the passage we read earlier. It's also on the back of your, the adults handout, if you have one of those. This morning, what we're going to see is that there is only one solution to our problems. Only one way in which we can truly be set free. Any and any. And every other solution will only make our problems worse. Now, I think even without hearing, having heard the message, most of us can probably already guess what solution I'm going to present. It's Easter Sunday. You're at church. I don't think anyone's really going to be surprised by what the solution is going to be. But before you zone out thinking, I've already got this. I know the answer. I don't need to worry about this. I don't have to be concerned about these types of problems. I want us to realize that there is a problem. That we can know the true answer and yet still fall into traps because we followed lies. You can know what the right answer is and yet you are still in danger of falling into traps because you followed lies that promised something they could never give. Consider our own lives. How many times in the pursuit of solving our own problems did life just end up worse? Where there was a promise that this is going to fix my problems. But that promise was a lie. In the end, it just made everything worse. Even though there is only one solution, one true answer, we are still susceptible to lies that ensnare us. This morning, Paul is going to compare and contrast different solutions we might be tempted to try. And in doing that, he will both protect us from lies as well as push us towards truth. Here's our big idea. Don't be captivated by lies that enslave. Rather, be enslaved to the one who sets captives free. Don't be taken captive by lies that enslave you. Rather, be captivated by the one who sets captives free. It's written on your handout, but if that's too long for you, you can also use the kid's big idea, which is this. Only Jesus can set us free. Okay? Real simple one. If you're leaving and you're not sure what, what to remember, remember this one. Only Jesus can set us free. Let's look at the first verse in our passage, Colossians 2, verse 8. It says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Right at the start, Paul is giving a warning to the Colossians. What's Paul's warning? See to it that no one takes you captive. That, that idea of see to it means guard yourself. Be on guard. Watch out. 
Now that you've been rescued from the domain of darkness, don't be dragged back. Be on guard. That doesn't sound good to be taken captive, but we need more information. If I just tell, told the kids, hey kids, this is really important. Don't be kidnapped. All right, I think we're, we've, we've resolved that issue. I've told them. I've already let them know. Don't be kidnapped. We're done. No, we, we need more information, right? We need to know, wait a second, how? What should I be watching out for? Where's the danger? We could, Paul could just say, be on guard, but there needs to be an, an item, an object of how, be on guard against what? Thankfully, Paul helps us out because he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. What does that mean? What are philosophy and empty deceit? Philosophy, this is one of those times where the Greek word and the English word are just the same. It's the love of wisdom, the love of knowledge. But he says, be on guard that no one take you captive by the love of wisdom. And that seems a little odd to us because we're like, wait a second. I thought Paul liked knowledge and wisdom. And he does. We've already seen that in Colossians, Colossians 1.9. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 110, increasing in the knowledge of God. 125, I became a minister to make the word of God fully known. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that we would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so what's going on here? Because Paul has already given us this whole idea of we are to love wisdom, to love knowledge, but now he's saying, don't be taken captive by the love of wisdom. Well, part of the big clue is going to be where he says at the end of the verse, and not according to Christ. See, what he's warning the Colossians about is knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's a love of ideas, but without substance. It's this idea that you're just talking and you're coming up with this, these beautiful ideas that are according to the wisdom of men. But what we've already seen this weekend, God's plans are foolishness to man, but they are the wisdom of God. No one would look at this and say, that's wisdom. So when we get and just start going in all of our own ideas and thinking of all these ideas of how this is going to work, that can take us captive. It's what in 1 Timothy 6, Paul uh, warns Timothy about when he says in 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Well, what is that? It's the gospel. It's the wisdom of God. Guard it. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. The philosophy here is a love of information that never leads to transformation. So Paul says, don't be captivated by that. He also says, don't be captivated by empty deceit. What does that mean? Notice that Paul doesn't just say deceit. It's not just lies. It's empty deceit. It's lies that can never produce what they promise. Let's say that, that uh, one of you, the kids here, is trying to raise money and they're, they're, they're wanting to buy a special toy and they come to me and say, Pastor Stephen, do you have any jobs I could do? And I would say, you know what? It just so happens that all of the toilets are clogged on the children's wing. And that's true. So don't use them. Um, we are going to have it resolved. The deacons are working on that. But we could, I could say, I have a job for you. That needs to be cleaned out. And if you do it, I will give you everything in my wallet. Now, the deceit there might be that the only thing in my wallet is a coupon to McDonald's. I'm going to do it, but I've really deceived them. That would just be deceit. Empty deceit, though, would be as if they came to me and I'm, and I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't own a wallet. I don't have one. So there's nothing in it. 
It's empty. There is nothing there. A deceit is giving something and kind of being tricky, but empty deceit, there is no solution in this. What would we call empty deceit? What would we call these philosophies that aren't based on truth? Lies. Do not be captivated by lies. Here's my question. Why does Paul need to warn us about that? Like, do we really need a warning? Hey, watch out for lies. Hey, lies aren't good. Kids, let me just ask you, are lies good? All right, I think we're done. Kids know it. Why do we need a warning to not be captivated by lies? Because lies are tricky. Lies know just enough. They dangle what we really want. See, see, in front of us, there is a desire that, that, that the lies promise they can solve. When Jack was up here, what did Jack want to be free, free of? His debt. Is that a wrong desire? No, it's a good desire. I would even say it's a God-given desire. How many desires do we have that are good? Do we want to be free of sin? Yes, Do we want to be free of suffering that was caused by that sin? Yes. Do we want to be free of this age of death that has come since sin entered the world? Yes. Do we want to be able to fulfill our God-given purpose? Yes. Do we want to live lives full of joy? Yes. All of those are good desires. But it's those desires that the lies will dangle in front of you and say, I will give you those desires. Here's the solution. Do you want it? See, the problem isn't that we have necessarily, we can have wrong desires, but here in this passage, the problem is not wrong desires. It's the wrong solutions. This is just something that we all need to realize that that the problem isn't always just the desire. It's the solution we seek for that desire. See, many of the the traps we will encounter are baited with good desires. And and there can be an element where we think, well, my intentions were good, so that will protect me. No, no, I, I know that that was the right decision to go on this path because my intentions were good. It's not the thought that matters. It's not the thought that counts. When we are pursuing solutions, we need to understand that the the way to determine if it's a good solution or bad solution is not based on our desires. So here's the warning for all of us. We must not determine the validity of a solution based solely on what we hope it will accomplish. So what must we not be captivated by? Paul gives us three snares for us to avoid. Three traps that promise freedom but only offer captivity. The first trap is the snare of human tradition. Now before I'm going to go into into these traps, I want to just talk a little bit about this, this idea of traps. So when I was a kid, I loved reading adventure books. Um, we would read uh, Swiss Family Robinson, Robinson Crusoe, Rascal, um, The Name of Courage, I think it was called. Uh, all of these different books that I just loved, and all of them were this adventure where, where usually it would be kids or maybe a family, and they had to figure out how to live in this wilderness. And one of the things they would often do is use traps or snares. Do you know what makes a really good trap? It's not how well it works. You can have the perfect trap. It will work every time. What do you need to make that trap work? You need the bait. If you don't have the right attractant, if you don't have a good bait that's going to actually cause something to go to that trap, it's not going to work. And that's what we need to be worried about is that the traps that we're going to face have good bait. They have really good bait to pull pull us in. So now let's look, though, at the actual traps. The first one, human tradition. Please understand, Paul is not talking about your New Year's family traditions. He's not talking about the way that you guys have done things. We're not talking about that kind of tradition necessarily. 
Paul is actually speaking out against man-made religion and man-made rules. See, this problem of sin, this debt, how long has that been part of humanity's story? From practically right in the beginning. We've got two chapters where it's not part of our story. From chapter three on, debt is part of our problem. And so how long have we been trying to fix this? For, For all of human history. And so this idea, this human tradition, there have been a lot of solutions that have been made. This is how we deal with our debt. But it doesn't actually work. It takes us captive. We don't know everything about the lies the Colossian church was facing, but within chapter two, some of the clues we see are an idea of man-made religion. These are not the commands of God. These are the ideas of men. They are the result of philosophies. If you look at chapter two, at the very end of chapter two in verse 23, it says this, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What was going on at the time that Paul was writing this is there was an element in, in Jewish belief called the tradition of elders. Those were extra rules that were really meant to protect you from breaking the law. Here was God's law, but man, I'm a little too scared to walk close to that line. So let's just make the barrier. Let's draw the line in the sand real far away so I don't even get close. It was a tradition of elders. It was passed on and it was said that, no, this is what will keep you holy. In Matthew 15, Jesus' disciples are are walking and they break the tradition of elders and the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus and say, look what your guys are doing. Jesus rebukes them because what they had done is they had elevated man's laws over God's laws. Matthew 15, it says this, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy uh, prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, the problem is this human tradition, these man-made rules and pursuits, they cannot save us. They don't fix our problem. They don't remove our debt. Now we are not facing the same problem as Colossians, although there is right now a movement, even in Christianity, to go back to the Mosaic law that says, well, this is what we need to be doing, and it's wrong. We don't need that anymore. We don't need those traditions. We have a better solution. Anything that we add to Christ in order to fix our problem is the same lie that the Colossians were facing. And it's not going to make it better. It's just going to add weight to our debt. Do you see why the, do you you know why the lie of human tradition is so effective? Pride. I want to be part of this solution. I don't want to have to say that I'm weak. I don't want to have to say that only Christ can do this. I'd like to have some part of it. I'd like to guarantee that it's going to happen and, and I'm going to be part of that. Second pitfall is the elemental spirits of the world and I think we should just ask, what is that? Elemental spirits of the world. Uh, in the handout, uh, if you read from the ESV, there's probably a footnote that says um, elemental spirits or elemental principles. These elemental spirits are are the values of this world. We've talked about the problem within human tradition, these man-made religions, but now we're just going to talk about maybe someone that doesn't have any religion, but just has these, these principles of the world that we follow, the principles of power, popularity, riches. Those are going to solve your problem. Whatever makes you happy, might makes right. Survival of the fittest. The ends justify the means. You are what's most important. Look into your heart. You'll find what you need to do. Follow your dreams. These elemental principles that promise you will have the solution you're looking for. 
you will have the desire of your heart. But they are lies. We see this all around us. We see it in our school systems and what they are teaching. I was talking to Cindy Rowe uh, last week and just talking about some of the things that she's facing. We see it in our work of what we think, no, this is what will make me, give me fulfillment. We see it in our kids from a very young age and we see it in ourselves. But these are lies. They promise a solution, but only lead to greater slavery. We come to the final trap and it is the broadest of all, but it also gives the most clarity. It's the trap of following anything that is not according to Christ. This is the reality. Anything that promises freedom apart from Christ or through more than Christ inevitably leads to captivity. Let me say that again. This is our Jesus plus or Jesus minus that we've seen in Colossians. Anything that promises freedom with less than Christ or through more than Christ inevitably leads to captivity. Now that's a pretty broad category, but that's what makes it so helpful. Paul is giving us, let's call it snare goggles. Okay, kids, help, help me out and do this. I want you to do this with me. Snare goggles. Okay, so sometimes when, when, when we, if you want to see things clearly, you might use like a microscope or, or you might use a different uh, binoculars. There's also these really cool ones. I've never tried them, but I've heard like for golf that you can wear these glasses that just allow you to see where your golf ball is because it, it makes everything dim except for the white golf ball. It's, it's we, those goggles that are very specialized. A lot of you are now trying to look it up and see if that's really true. <laughs> See, we've already determined that we cannot base the reliability of a solution on the worthiness of our desires. You can have good desires that still lead to greater captivity. Jack wanted to be free from his debt. That's good. But just because your desires are good doesn't mean you are protected from the lies. We need to be able to identify the snares before the promise lures us into the trap. And that's what Paul is giving us. See, if we put on these goggles suddenly the snares, the, the, the trip wire is exposed. Oh, oh, wait, I see what you're doing. You're promising me a life of holiness, which I greatly desire, but you're saying I just need to follow this list of rules. And while that's tempting, as I look through these snare goggles, I see that this is just a trap to trust in my own strength an appeal to my pride that I can save myself. This solution that you're offering me is not according to Christ. It's a trap. See, when we have these goggles to determine, oh, I don't know if it's elemental spirits. I'm not sure if it's the human tradition. It could be any number of traps. What we need to ask is, is it according to Christ? Whenever we are considering any potential solution, the question to ask is this, is this according to Christ? Every system of the world that leads to captivity can be boiled down to two categories. Either they are telling you to trust in less than Christ or they are telling you to trust in more than Christ. So we must ask, is this solution promising freedom apart from Christ? If it is, it will only lead you to greater captivity. See, this is why we must avoid these captivities. The danger is real. We might think that we are doing, all we're doing is just covering our bases just to be really sure. Like, I know Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But that's, uh, pun intended, that's a lot of eggs in one basket. So, so let's, let's just spread out our bases here. But when, when the, everything around you is a cliff, spreading out your bases doesn't help. Don't be captivated by the lies. If it's not according to Christ, it will only lead to greater captivity. Only Jesus can set us free. Don't be captivated by lies that enslave. Rather be enslaved to the one who sets captives free. For Jack, when he was looking at other solutions, all of those solutions, none of them made it better. It made it worse. We need to understand before we move on, this is not a warning where we think like, well, that's the world. I know the solution. I'm, I'm in the clear. Who's Paul writing to? 
Believers, Christians, this is a warning for Christians. You who have been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, you can still be captivated. You can still think, I'm going to depart. I'm going to pursue a different solution. We're not talking about loss of salvation, but we are talking about a loss of blessing. So we've seen the wrong solution. What's the right one? Be captivated by Christ. For in him, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Before we unpack the rest of the passage, we need to see an implication that, is, that comes from the end of verse 8. Paul's warning, don't be captivated by the lies according to human tradition, according to elemental principles, and not according to Christ. What is the implication of that final statement, not according to Christ? Well, if the reason we aren't supposed to be captivated is because they are lies not according to Christ, how should we respond to the truths according to Christ? We should be captivated by them. The implication of Paul's warning is that we are to be captivated by Christ. We can see that if we flip the first sentence. Paul could have said, see to it that you are captivated by the truth, not according to human tradition, not according to the elemental spirits of the world, but according to Christ. Do you see how one implies the other? For Paul to charge the Colossians not to be captivated by false solutions, it implies they are meant to be captivated by Christ, the true solution. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Right now, Paul is using an idea of captivity. It's a new metaphor in the book, but it's not a new meaning. Throughout Colossians, Paul has provided many metaphors, many examples and illustrations of what we have been given. They are all different, but in all of them, there has been one common theme. Listen to some of the ones we've already seen. Last week, we saw three. We are called to a narrow path, walk in Christ. We use the illustration of a healthy tree. We are rooted in Christ that same metaphor was used earlier as we are to grow in him and bear fruit. We talked about a tall building that we are to be built up in Christ. Before that, we saw Christ as the true treasure. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We saw that we are members of the body of Christ in which Christ is the head. We have seen that we are citizens of Christ's kingdom, that he is the king. All of those we've seen in less than two chapters. What is the common theme of all the metaphors? Everything that we have been given, everything that we hope for, everything we need, it's all found in Christ. The true blessing, the true treasure, the true solution is found only in Christ. Christ is the path we must walk. Christ is the source of life we are rooted in, growing through, and bearing fruit for. Christ is the blueprint we are being built up to look like. Christ is the treasure we must value above all counterfeit treasures. Christ is the head of the body we are members of. Christ is the king of the kingdom in which we have been transferred. How does this idea of being captivated by Christ play into that? Don't pursue a different solution. Don't be pulled away by the lies. Be totally captivated by Christ. Now you might be thinking, ah, I don't know, Stephen, this, this imagery that we're using, I, I don't like it. I don't want to be captive by anything. Let, let's find a different word. First of all, I understand. It's not a pleasant word. But you need to know, I didn't make it up. The other thing we need to know is that this idea of the captivity we have in Christ is different from any other captivity. We read earlier Romans 6, 20 through 23, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is 
death. The end of the lies of the world, they are death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the difference between the solutions of the world, the so-called solutions, and the solution found in Christ. The world offers freedom and makes you a slave. Christ calls you to slavery and gives you freedom. That's our big idea. Don't be captivated by lies that enslave. Rather, be enslaved to the one who sets captives free. This is what captivity to Christ must look like, that he is everything to us, that we are totally linked to Christ, that we would never depart from him, that there is no other solution. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not convinced. I'm not sure I want to put all of those eggs in that basket. I don't know, Stephen. That's a lot of trust for one solution. It is. But because it's a lot doesn't mean it's wrong. Christ is the better solution. Let's see why. Paul is going to outline six reasons for us. Here's the first reason of why Christ is the better solution, why we should be captivated by Christ. For he is God. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a pretty good first reason. If we were doing a, 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 a pick, someone said, hey, I need your help making a decision. I, I need to know which solution to trust. On this side, I have human tradition. I have the values of this world, um, but they're not according to Jesus. And on this side, I have Jesus, God. Shouldn't really be that hard of a decision. The fact that Jesus is God means everything for why we are celebrating this weekend. If we are going to understand all the reasons of why Christ is the better solution, it begins here. If Jesus is just some guy, maybe he's the best guy, it means nothing for us. He had to be God. I want to know us to notice the specific way in which Paul demonstrates that Christ is God. It says, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is the incarnation. Christ took on flesh. Well, well, why does that matter? Because of what we are celebrating today. We needed a sacrifice that was both God and man. Deity dwelling bodily. We need a sacrifice. He needed to be a man because it needed to be a like-kind sacrifice. For humans to be redeemed, a human needed to pay the price. But for all the sins to be paid for, it needed to be God. See, if Christ was just a man, even if he was the best man, his death would have accomplished nothing for us. We see this truth in Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15, that says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, meaning that he took on flesh and blood, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you see what it says? Not only did he take on our flesh for salvation, he sets us free from our lifelong slavery. This leads us to our second reason of why we should be captivated by Christ. The second reason is because he is the source of full blessing. Colossians verse 10, it says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Our fullness comes from his fullness. Our condition is based on his identity. Again, if he's just a guy that, doesn't, that does nothing for us, but in him, the whole fullness of deity, deity dwells bodily. And it is according to that fullness that we have been filled in him. Then it matters If that's the case, it matters who he is. If our fullness comes from him, 
if he's just a guy, what good does that do us? But if from his fullness, we are filled, it makes all the difference. Who is he? He is God, the head of all rule and authority. John 1.14 and 16 reveals the same truth. It says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What we receive is according to who he is. Before we move on to the third reason, we cannot comprehend how marvelous that promise is. We have been filled in him. That idea of being filled means there's nothing more to do. It's full. It's complete. All of the desires that we pursue, thinking they will complete us, only Christ completes completes us. And we have been filled in him. There's no reason to pursue a different solution. He fills us. He completes us. It is this idea that there is no need for another solution that leads to the third reason we seek Christ alone because he is the giver of the better sign. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We need to understand this idea of circumcision when we see in the old covenant that there was a sign, an external reminder where a piece of flesh was removed from young Jewish boys as a reminder of looking forward to a greater promise that they needed. You need to understand that even in the Old Testament, circumcision never saved. It was pointing forward. Even in Deuteronomy 30, God reveals that because it says in 30 verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Does the circumcision of the flesh cause us to do that? No. We need a better sign. We need a better transformation. But that's what we have here. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's not in the flesh. By putting off the body of the flesh, the circumcision of Christ. It's the circumcision of our hearts. No longer do we need the external. Now we have been given the better sign. In Christ, our hearts have been transformed. In Christ, our hearts of stone have become hearts of flesh. The desire of Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, is fulfilled in Christ. It is not an external reality. It's an internal reality. This is just an aside for all of us. You don't need the lesser when you've been given the greater. There will be a temptation to say, well, I know Christ is the substance, which we're going to see next week in, in Colossians. Christ is the substance, but let me cover my tracks and also get the shadow. A shadow is useful. If, if you could not see me, if you were only looking at the wall and you wanted to know what I'm like and you're, I'm behind you, you could look at my shadow and see some idea of what I'm like. There is a use to that shadow. But once you turn around and you can see me face to face, you don't need the shadow. We've been given the substance. You don't need the lesser when you've been given the greater. This was the error of the Colossians to claim that they still needed the old ways, the ways that were a shadow. Christ is what we need. Paul then encourages the Colossians that they have already have the better sign by reminding them of what they have already done. They've already borne witness to that sign. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What is baptism? Baptism is the external demonstration of the internal reality internally we have been circumcised. Internally, Christ has removed the body of the flesh. Only he can do that. 
When we are baptized, we bear witness and publicly proclaim what only Christ did. Our baptism is an illustration of the burial. We are buried with him in death. Our body of flesh dies and we are raised with him. Remember, Paul is speaking to believers who he knows have already been baptized. This is not saying that the internal circumcision of the heart is accomplished through baptism. If it was accomplished through baptism, it wouldn't be a circumcision made without hands. The sign can only be made without hands if it is a sign that he he alone does. You can't bear witness to being buried with him and being raised with him if you are already not in him. This is why we do baptism, why we understand baptism to be something that is withheld until you are a believer. That you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That he has accomplished the circumcision of your heart. And now we are people who are visual. We are given a reminder of that. We celebrated the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder. So when we are buried with him in death, we are proclaiming, I died in Christ and now I am raised again. While salvation is completely a work of God, there is a human response that is required. We see that in verse 12 in which it says, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. We are saved through faith in Christ. It is the only way. Here again, we see what we are celebrating today. Buried and raised. Buried on Good Friday. Raised on Easter Sunday. The tomb is empty. Is this not a reason to be captivated only by Christ? For he is God. He is the source of full blessing. He is the giver of the better sign. Fourth reason, he is the provider of life. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This was the state we were in before a perfect and holy God. We were dead. When we talk about the greatest problem we seek to solve, it's this, that we were dead. Why? Because of our sins. Kids, on your little card, what's the word written there? Debt. Let me ask again. What's the word written on your card? Thank you. Debts are a problem. It means there's a price to pay. Do you know what our debt is? It's another D word. Death. We have the debt because that's the price of our sins. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. This is what this verse is saying. We were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. In our trespasses, in our sins, we were dead. We had no internal reality that had transformed us. This body of death had not yet been removed. But what did God do? You were dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins trespasses full stop he forgave us he made us alive with him there cannot be a greater statement there can be no greater solution for our problem than that statement God solved our problem of sin he forgave our debt he gave us life with Christ. The resurrection that Christ has already experienced is promised to those who believe he is the firstborn of the dead, the first among many brothers. Hallelujah, he's alive. He is risen. This is the greatest news. But there's a question that must be asked. How did God make us alive with him? Christ was perfect. His death was unjust. He did not have a debt. How is it that we are given his reward? How are our trespasses forgiven? Fifth reason, because Christ is the redeemer. 
It says verse 13, the second part of verse 13, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I want us to notice the three distinct actions that are outlined here. He canceled the debt with its legal demands. What are those demands? What is the legal requirement of our sin? Death, both physical and spiritual. The legal demand is that we would be eternally damned. We would be eternally separated from God. But he canceled the record of debt. He set our record of debt aside He nailed it to the cross. Jack, can you come up here? Let's talk about our other solution. Oh, you can't lose the debt that easily. Jack, come come up, up top with me. And let's talk about this. Kids, if you have your bulletin out, go ahead and open it and get that other little gold piece that's inside your bag. This is what we what we see accomplished in the cross. What is the first thing that Christ does to our record of debt? What is it? Look in the passage. What did he do to our record of debt? He canceled it. The debt is canceled. Kids, I want you to take your debt and cross it out. What was the next part of what Christ did with our debt. He set it aside. He removes the debt. It's taken off of us. We're free. But then what? Does the debt just lie around? What needs to happen to this debt? It needs to be paid for. So he nails it to the cross. He takes our debt and he places it where it has already been paid for. These bags got in the way. Jack, you can sit down. Kids, you can, you can nail your debt to that cross. This is what Christ did for us. This is what God accomplished in the victory, in the redeeming work of his son. He crossed out the debt. He removed it from us and he nailed it to the cross. When it is nailed there, it doesn't come down again. It stays there. There's a beauty beyond, though, just the imagery because we might be thinking it was nailed there because Christ was nailed there, but there's more going on here. How did people know the, the, the crime of the criminal on the cross? How did people know? Because if this was a public spectacle to demonstrate that they had done something wrong, how did people know as they were walking by, how did they know? Because there was a sign And what was the sign? What was the crime that Jesus had committed apparently? This is the king of the Jews. And all of the Jews might think, well, that's why he died. That's not why he died. God put a different crime above that he was paying for. The sign that hung above Christ's head was not that he was the king of the Jews. The sign that hung above his head was my debt. The reason the Son of God was nailed to the cross that all could see were my sins. That's why he was there. But he finished it. This is our only hope of solution. Now we need to understand there might be elements, there are still lies where we could still put burdens on us. Our sins are paid for, but we will not accomplish what we are meant to accomplish if we are still taking on those things. This is why the man hang there. The debt was mine, but the death was his. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
This is a beautiful image. But before we move on, kids and adults and all of us, you need to know something. Just because you watched this illustration, just because you are here in this church building, just because in your bulletin you did that, does not mean your debt has been erased. That was an illustration that needs to actually happen. And how does it happen for us? We place our faith in Jesus. See, if if you're looking for this to be your solution, but you have not placed your faith in Jesus, your debt is not hanging up here. Your debt is still on your shoulders. You must respond to Christ, the work that he did, by repenting of all of the baggage you are bearing and saying, God, only you can pay this debt. You are the only solution. And when we turn to him in faith, our debts are paid for. It is finished. We come to the final reason, though, why we are to be captivated by Christ. The sixth reason, for he is the triumphal conqueror. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. For us to understand this verse, we must first understand who the rulers and authorities are. Who's, who's Paul talking about? These are not human leaders. This isn't talking about the Pharisees, Pilate, or Caesar. This is talking about the spiritual forces of evil who wage battle against God. We know that because in Ephesians 6, it uses the same word. In Ephesians 6, it says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We also know then, because of what this verse says, who is put to open shame through what Christ accomplished on Easter? Did the Pharisees feel open shame? No. Did Pilate go and just hide in his room because he was so ashamed of what had happened? No. Did Caesar change it all? No. They did not feel open shame. Who felt open shame? This is the incredibly ironic twist of events, but it shows us why would you trust in anything, any other power that you might think is is more powerful than you because they are, but you have Christ, the triumphal conqueror. Here's the twist of fate. What was the cross? It was a place of shame. To die on a cross was a shameful death. What did the forces of evil seek to do to Christ? They sought to openly shame him. They hung him in the place of criminals in the way of shame as he hung there naked. But they did not know what they were doing. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Their ploy of shame had no effect on the conqueror. Hebrews 12, 2, For Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what it means to despise the shame? It doesn't mean to hate it. To despise it means he didn't even regard it. He gave it no second thought. It wasn't even worth his consideration. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Disarmed, put to shame. Their great moment of victory where they seemed to be a fierce and terrible lion revealed that they were a toothless and weak kitten. God triumphed over the forces of evil through Christ. What other reason must we have to be captivated by Christ? He's God. Through him, we receive the true blessing. He is the better sign. In him, we have life. Through him, we are redeemed. He is our triumphal, conquering God. Friend, if you are here and your desire is to be free of your sin, there is only one solution. Place your faith in Christ alone. 
In the lobby, we're gonna have a book, uh, What is the Gospel? If you wanna dive into the true solution found in Christ, I invite you to take a copy. That's yours to keep. If you're looking and saying, what, what all, is this all about? Tell me more about the solution. Or if you'd rather come talk to me, talk to any of our members here, ask them, what is this solution that you guys are proclaiming? But know this, that no other solution will set you free. They will only lead to greater captivity. Brothers and sisters, we who have placed our faith in Christ, we have been given the greatest solution, but we must be on guard. As we journey in this fallen world, we must realize that we will still be tempted to try other solutions. Be on guard. Don't be captivated by the lies. Be captivated by Christ. As the worship team comes up, don't be captivated by lies that enslave. Rather, be enslaved to the one who sets captives free. Only Jesus can set us free. This song that we will sing, I invite you to stand with us, proclaims what we have just seen in this passage, that our sins have been nailed to the cross.